0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University.
1: Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. I'm delighted to welcome as our guest today, Tim Smith, the chief executive of the UK Food Standards Agency. Um, more or less the equivalent of the Food and Drug Administration in the United States. Uh, Tim has had a distinguished career as an executive in the food industry and more recently was appointed chief executive of of the FSA, Food Standards Agency, an organization now known for very progressive work leading the world in some ways in addressing certain issues. Tim, welcome. Good morning, thank you. Delighted to have you here, especially given all the very interesting work that the Food Standards Agency has done. And we're going to talk about two issues today, one in this podcast and one in another. Let's talk first about food packaging and labels on foods. I know this is an issue that has generated considerable attention in the UK, in Europe in general, and also more recently in the United States, where the food companies have used a variety of symbols to apply to their packages to indicate which foods are better for you or not so better for you. Uh, there's great controversy about that in the United States, and I'm curious about what the picture looks like in the UK.
0: I think the the simple message from consumers when we asked them the question was that they were ready to find out more about the complex nature of some of the foods that they were consuming that might have only really uh, been innovated in the last 10 or 15 years. And they they wanted to know and we wanted to tell them about the calorific content, obviously, but also about the content saturated fat and, and salt sugars within each of those foodstuffs. So we've set about devising a scheme which allowed, in a very simple way, for when somebody's shopping, them to make a choice just to give them the simple information that allows them to pick and choose between different products. So we'll come back and talk about what that
1: system is exactly. But it's not an easy task, is it, to do a nutrient profiling or nutrient ratings of foods because there are things that you'd like to see a lot of in foods, like fiber, things that you'd like to see only a little bit of, like saturated fat or trans fats. How does this all get worked out in the mix to come up with a single, easy to understand system?
0: Well, the, the first rule of thumb is that consumers have got to be able to make a decision based on the information that you give them. It's pointless presenting information which is either overcomplicated or takes too long to comprehend for each of the people making a choice. The second is that we would only ever use information on the pack or ask the manufacturers and the retailers participating that was based on very sound science and evidence. So the, the simple tenets are the consumer's got to be able to understand it and make an informed choice, and it has, whatever the information that's being presented, has to be based on a scientific and evidence base that we're all comfortable with.
1: Now in the United States, <clears throat> what's occurred so far is that each of the companies, not all of them have done this, but a number of the companies have come up with their own standards. They, they they declare what constitutes good nutrition. The companies do. Most of their products, many of their products at least, meet those criteria because mm. they're pretty lax. And then there are a variety of different symbols used on different packaging depending on the company. Uh, there's been a call for something more uniform, and that's, it sounds like, exactly one of the reasons that the FSA has been involved in Britain, the need for a single standard.
0: Yeah. I, I think the the critical thing for the 60 million... uh, uh, occupants of the United Kingdom are that we want a single scheme. We've done a huge amount of research, social science type research, to find out what consumers actually find useful. The first thing, their their highest preference score, is for a single scheme. Now, let's be clear, we don't have one single scheme at the moment, but if we have a way forward, it will inevitably, I think, lead to a, a conclusion that one scheme would be better for consumers. The second component they find useful is that if we say or if the manufacturer or retailer says this product is high or medium or low in a particularly new, a nutrient, let's say saturated fat then that always means the same thing. So it's so much per 100 grams, whatever the reference point is and those are agreed. We have done a massive amount of consultation with the industry and with retailers to ensure that there is consistency of those standards. So when we're speaking about different systems around the world, the one thing that we don't necessarily have to worry about now in the United Kingdom is that everybody would differ on what was a high amount of salt or a high amount of saturated fat. That's pretty much been prescribed and agreed and use the same science evidence base that we, we must rely on to make sure that what we're doing is fair and equitable. And so what standards are being used
1: to declare what constitutes... High fiber, low nutrients, and some other category, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I think we put together an expert panel, and the expert panel spent a long time deliberating, arguing, and finally reaching a consensus on the four or five key nutrient ingredients in, in foods that we're concerned about and gave us an opinion which effectively said below this it will be rated as a medium or an amber, above this will be a high or a red, and in the below on any of those two categories there would be a green score. So as you look at the food packaging you're seeing a range of five or six nutrients, each of which is scored high, medium or low, with a number per 100 grams.
1: And so this is based not on industry-defined criteria, but on scientifically-based standards that are derived by experts in nutrition.
0: Yes. Um, I mean, I, I would smile at the thought that industry might be allowed to do its own thing in terms of establishing what the criteria ought to be. I don't doubt their signs but unless there's a consensus that all consumers can then know with confidence that whether it's a breakfast cereal or a tin of beans or a a a, a ready made sort of uh, chicken curry that you've got to be able to understand what it is what measure and the measure's been used in exactly the same way so Yes, I, I do, as I say, smile, thinking that industry might be the best people to define the criteria. Well, and I smile at your smiling, because in the United
1: States, that's exactly what's happening. And sure. you may be aware that... In the US, the industry has produced a consortium of players with some scientific input, but mainly industry-based standard called Smart Choices Mm. that is going to be, um, It is appearing on some packages already and will be appearing on a great many sometime soon, where the industry has defined what it takes to meet certain levels, not the scientific community, but the industry itself. Um, and there are grave concerns that the standards are so lax that most foods meet them. For example, with breakfast cereals, if you take the highest sugar cereals, the highest calorie cereals, that would not begin to meet the standards set in the U.K. Almost all of them meet Mm. the criteria that industry sets. So I don't know that smile is exactly what we'd be doing. Maybe crying is another thing. But but it sounds like you you can easily sound the alarm that that's not the best way to approach it.
0: That would be right. I, I, I'm slightly torn here because um, the reason that our industry and the Food Standards Agency have been able to make such tremendous progress, and bear in mind it's always the industry and the retailers who do all the work. We're effectively a prompt or a catalyst. Um, is that they were able to find those common themes, those common standards quite quickly. They were all quite keen because consumer demand was was starting to build to provide the information. And they have found different ways of disseminating the same information using either colors or a percentage of GDA. And as uh, they they sort of um, recommended daily amounts, and that caused us some concern. It turns out that consumers value the information as long as it's coming from that common base, pretty much equally, and whilst they've got a strong preference for one system, you know the fact that we've now got every retailer participating in the scheme in the UK in one form or another, because of the way the branded manufacturers have gone, means that we've made faster, stronger progress than we might have been if we'd spent three or four more years arguing about which single scheme to go for. Um, so that's why I'm kind of torn. But what I'm not torn on is a science and evidence base. You just ha- absolutely have to have a consensus on what constitutes low, medium, and high scores for each of those nutrients. Are you? So basically, it's a
1: traffic light system yes. with three different colors indicating eat a little of this, eat in moderation, or eat as you wish the red, yellow, green. Is there any uh, evidence that you're aware of, either in the UK or other countries, about um, consumer response to these? Obviously, consumers like it, they're asking for it in the first place, but is there any sense of how it's affecting their purchase behaviors?
0: There are two behavioral changes that happen once you start giving people the quality of information that is now being provided. The first is that they they do switch into lower fat, lower sugar, lower salt variants when those are available. And not surprisingly, in the in the simple economics of the supermarket world, two things then occur. Manufacturers and retailers innovate to reformulate products which have got criteria which would satisfy the green or amber scores. And secondly, they are innovating anyway to, to to take out of recipes those products which which they may, through dint of you know sort of slight laziness or just simply because the product has always been like that, whichever whichever doesn't matter, to eliminate the ones that have got higher scores. And there's no evidence that people see red traffic lights as stop. What they see it as, as as you quite rightly uh, enumerated, it's it's a a warning sign that you don't want too many of those to end up in your shopping basket. So there is there was a concern I think that using red would signal stop it actually signals take care although it's, so it's not strictly a traffic light system in the way that consumers respond but Good evidence that consumers a want the information, b find it useful to use, and see when they're when they're shopping tend to have a, a mental calculator running that allows them to make some good judgments, which are, are probably then based on good evidence again, which is the key the key factor. Here.
1: Well, it's nice that there's evidence that it's working as intended. Now, critics of government involvement in something like this might say government should stay out of our personal lives and not tell us what to eat, Mm. and government shouldn't be a nanny. Um, How do you respond to that in the context of this particular issue?
0: Yeah, I I think in in respect to the information that we provide for consumers when they're out and about, they can choose to ignore it. Um, There are products that will score very highly still on on saturated fat and so on. Um, Some of those you don't actually need to label, so on butter, and cream, for example, we have never suggested it would be a good idea to put traffic light labelling on those. Some people do, but that's their choice. So we shouldn't think that consumers are uh, ignorant or, or silly about this. They, they kind of know the balance of the risks. And all we're really doing is presenting them with with an increased choice. And that increased choice allows them to make a value judgement. Um, our, obviously our hope, our public health outcome we're looking for, is to reduce the incidence of overweight and obesity. And if this is just simply one of those methodologies, then if consumers choose to to go in a different direction, ultimately that has to be personal will, and we we wouldn't try to influence that.
1: Well, thank you so much. Certainly Britain is leading the way in this, and very few countries are uh, more advanced, and certainly our country could learn something from your experience. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Our guest today was Tim Smith, Chief Executive of the Food Standards Agency in the United Kingdom. Uh, Please visit our website at www.yalerudcenter.org for a variety of resources, including a free email newsletter and a list of the other excellent podcast guests that we've had. Thank you.